Welcome to the Third Person Podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Milhouse and joined, as always, with my co-host, Daryl Hammond, and our producer, Jim Search. Hey, what's up, y'all? How we doing? We're living Good. this. Yeah. We're in real life. Daryl, how you doing? I think sometimes I think Jim is the more most interesting one of us, but um. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. I'm your co-host, man. You could at least person. Hey, you know, he always says something funny. <laughs> I'm just a look. I, I'm a regular dude, man. I ride the four train just like everybody else. You know, I, you uh, ride the four train. I ride the coattails of an SNL legend. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I am a professional comedian, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but yes, guys, real quick, just a reminder, please uh, make sure that you uh, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, make sure to give us five stars. That really helps with the algorithm so that we don't get screwed by iTunes and then it pops up to more people when they search comedy and interview co- podcasts, things like that. Five stars would be great. We appreciate that. Leave a comment. Uh, we love your comments. They've all been so nice and so great so far. And of course, add us on the social media. Uh, I am at Chris Milhouse. He's at Daryl C. Hammond. And uh, Jim Search, our producer, is at Jim Search. So you want to add the three of us, that would be awesome. And, uh, you know, we um, we do have a great episode today. Uh, our guest today is Colin Quinn, who's an amazing uh, comedian, actor, uh, SNL legend as well. But before we get to that, I feel like, Daryl, we've got to talk about some news that happened. Uh, we lost a couple of icons real recently, within like a week of each other. We lost, um, we lost Alex Trebek and we lost uh, Sean Connery. And obviously the reason I bring it up is because, you know, you famously played Sean Connery on those legendary SNL Jeopardy sketches. And man, those sketches were so funny. Um, that, you know, losing both of them within a week's got to be pretty tough for obviously their families, but also fans of them and fans of SNL. Um, what was it like back then? Like shooting those sketches? Like did they, either one of them ever mention? how much they loved the sketches or if they hated them. I mean, I think Sean Connery said something really nice on the tonight show about me. I heard that. Um, I believe Alex Trebek common, commented, common, commented. What am I fucking saying? Commented. Is that, <laughs> is that a word? Comment? Yeah. Jesus Christ. I've been to one party too many. Y'all. <laughs> um, I think Alex Trebek actually made some nice comments about uh, Will Ferrell. Um, it was quite a good sport about the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there was a video that SNL famously just posted on their Instagram uh, yesterday or the day before where it was where he surprised Will Ferrell on the Jeopardy sketch, and then you came out dressed as Sean Connery, and, you know, he was like, that's enough out of you, Connery. Like, you know, but he had a good sense of humor, you could tell. I mean, the man was a legend. The man was an icon, and just to, to know that he, he did like your sketches, that's that's pretty cool, right? Uh, oh, Trebek? Yeah. Uh, and talk about a, a life well lived. I mean, five daytime Emmys, loving wife for 30 years, loving family. He pretty much got the whole life experience knocked. Yeah. I mean, it, there's not too many more people that have been able to do a job for 30 plus years and not only do it well, but also be revered of just such an icon. I mean, yeah. you know, he, he, he kept his nose clean. He was always a very, like commendable person had a just a great like tremendous uh stature to him and uh he's definitely going to be missed um but yeah you you mean man like your social media i've been seeing all these comments and people all the fans wanted to want to see if you got you come back and do another uh you know a little uh little little celebrity jeopardy sketch again maybe you know something about jeopardy in heaven or something like that you know with Connor well, chris, 
Uh, Chris, I, I, I work in the mail room, okay? <laughs> I don't be going up. I don't be going up to the king in the in the court and, and talk about. I'd like to pitch an idea to you. You know, the, the, the word comes down to me in the sub basement, and I go up there and I either yeah. announce the show and every once in a while I'll do a cameo on there. I know, but it would be uh, I don't know. As a fan personally of the of the show and of those sketches, I would love to see that come back. I'd love to see you pop back on for a little uh, little Sean Connery. There couldn't be anything more incredible to do. I mean, I never really realized it at the time how popular they were at it. But I, I went to, I I did a, I went to like Purdue University and I was performing at fucking Purdue, and um, there were kids from all lots of different countries with signs of their favorite line. Yeah, from Celebrity Jeopardy, and I, I realized that at that time it's the most that's the most popular thing I ever did. And I, I was telling someone the other day, like I always wanted to be cross cultural and cross generational with my work. Mm. And I, I, I'd hoped that would happen, but I didn't think it would be for saying things like, you know, <laughs> you know, I'll take famous titties for six hundred, you know I mean? <laughs> and, and yet that's the one that how many, 20 years later, yeah. people are still asking about, I mean, well, the the comments I saw, I mean, going back to your point about being cross generational, there was comments I saw on uh, you know on your um, your Instagram is that some people kept leaving a lot of the same ones. So I read some of them, and one of the the one I saw repeatedly was, you know, I would not if if it wasn't for you, Daryl, I would not even know who Sean Connery is. That's what the comments were. So like you know, because he was an older guy, and that you know the James Bond era was what the '60s, right? So like you have you know, a lot of younger generations that just aren't familiar with, you know, Connery's work and, and they love the sketches and they were like, I'm sure they were like, who is this guy? Who's Daryl Hammond playing? Like who is, and then they would Google and they're like, Oh, this is hilarious. And so yeah, that's kind the, of a cool the, thing. The, the line that transcended, transcended generations for him was when someone in this, in the, once per picture and he, he did seven pictures once per movie, someone says to you, Hey, what's your name anyway? And he says <laughs> Bond, James Bond. And they start the music. Dun, dun, dun. People fucking ate that shit up. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get enough of Sean Connery. Yeah, I mean, and, it's, you know, it's iconic. And, and from my point of view, I had Emmy Award winning writers, hair people, and costumers. You know, I just had to go out there and enunciate. Um, but I'll. I mean, I've, I've don't had sell, some big, don't sell your don't sell your your impression short though. It was a great impression, man. Like, I mean, you really crush it every time. Well, it was an SNL impression, which means it's it's a a talent a talentization. It's I um I mean, I'm character. It's a character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's you know meant to be funny. It's meant to be like silly, and it's great. I mean, it's it's pretty much dead on. And um, how do those sketches even come about? Like who? Do you, do you remember, like, you, you told a story once about Will Ferrell, you and Will Ferrell, like, in the hallway, like, late night, maybe, like, writing those, or, like, you were practicing Sean Connery, and then he just came. I think that's back. how I decided to submit the character, was he was doing Alex Trebek, and the thing had our Celebrity Jeopardy had already started um, by, um, by Norm MacDonald, because he wanted to keep doing his Burt Reynolds impression. 
Yeah, which was great. I mean, all those, all of the you guys together. The funniest thing in the whole fucking world. All of you guys together were just so. so like, Will Ferrell's like so standing there, and, and for reasons, you know, not apparent to me, I sort of turned to him and I said, <clears throat> Not so fan of the ladies, are you Trebek? <laughs> <laughs> Thereby gave me my only niche in Western civilization for something that was totally bizarre. Did you just crack up to, uh, uh, like Farrell, Will Farrell? Did you crack him up like with that? I line? think he was reading the sketch and I don't even think he paid attention. He was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, but Connery really didn't score like big the first time out. He got some good laughs, good enough to bring him back, but yeah. he didn't like take the whole fucking place over until the second time when every writer at SNL started contributing jokes. Like, everyone was just sort of delighted by the idea that you're going to do Sean Connery. Well, because it's also like those those dirty jokes are, are everybody, everyone loves a good dirty joke. Everyone loves like a fun pun, like, you know, like, um, like you know, I'll take the tits, the tits now. <laughs> you know, like that was just, it, that's yeah. got to be so much fun to write, man. Well, I didn't write them. I just I just read them. Although I would read, you know, when they would write them, I would sit with them and I would repeat them. But I mean, you know, <laughs> dress rehearsal, we would do things that were unimaginably vile, so that the censors <laughs> would have to choose between that and your mother's a whore, you know, <laughs> like really, really, really rough stuff, sickening stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was definitely a, a really like. And I, those sketches were always going to be synonymous with SNL. Like they're always going to be so popular. So like the part, the fact that you were part of them um, must be feel pretty cool, especially that people still love them now. I mean, you know, things like Mr. Connery, you're despicable. And Connery would be like, you know, you didn't say that last night when I was pumping Mugu Guy Pan all over your tonsils. <laughs> You know, uh, I love it. Man. The fencers are like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Let him say your mother's a whore for God's sakes. No more 007 and Mugu guy pan. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I just, uh, I love those sketches, man. I really do. And I, you know, that's, uh, it's a big loss to have both of them as, you know, and, and, you know, at least Connery was able to make it what to ninety, I think, or something like that. He, he made it pretty far in life. I, I, I think Trebek bad. made eighty, didn't he? Yeah, I, I think he made it to about eighty, but he died from what prostate cancer, which is brutal. And it's like yeah. you know, I just feel bad for his family. So I condolences out there. That. Yeah, condolences go out to his family. He was he's been battling it like publicly talked about it for the last like a year or so, and he still kept working during it. He said, "I'm going to go as long as I can." And keep working. So now it's um, you know it's it sucks to have you know live in a world without Trebek. And um, now they're having the whole discussion about who replaces him and if they even can replace somebody on that show. But yeah. the show is still very popular. So you know the, the front runner seems to be Ken Jennings, who was a, cont- a contestant on there for. Remember he won like he won it like I don't know like twenty or thirty weeks in a row or something crazy he won like a a crazy amount of time in a row and he won a lot of money like famously and he's very smart and he's ken jennings actually really funny like he's on twitter and he's just actually hilarious so they were on twitter they're all trying to push for him to take over you know it's a long time ago um my internist is known as a great doctor at cornell university and shit she this is before i was even 50 years old you know 
she would say, like, get your junk checked, dude. <laughs> get those yeah. pipes looked at. You know, there yeah. could be something in there. There probably isn't, but get looked at. And I, and I, 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 I did that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's important. I'm, man. I'm, I'm grateful. And I'm, yeah, that's well, a serious situation. Uh, heartfelt condolences out to anybody who knew uh, Mr. Trebek or Connery, and uh, obviously we he, they both will be missed. And if anybody's uh, looking for uh, what we're talking about, I'm sure all, most of our listeners are fans of yours, Daryl, so they've already know the sketches. But they live on on the internet. That's the beautiful thing about the internet is that you can still find some classic sketches from SNL. Um, speaking of SNL, what do you say we bring in our guest for today? Uh, our guest is a like I said, writer, comedian, uh, and just an, uh, an overall great dude. Uh, he, I can't say enough great things about him. I loved him on SNL's Weekend Update. Uh, I know he's a friend of yours, does a great impression of you. Yes. <laughs> uh, but let's bring him on, Mr. Colin Quinn, ladies and gentlemen. Colin Quinn. Hi, Chris. Hi, Daryl. Hi, Colin. <laughs> What's going on? Nothing. Haven't seen you in a bit. Um, oh, yeah. Thank Have you, you been for- in New York? I've been here about, uh, how long would you say, Chris? Two or three months? Yeah, I think uh, Daryl and I both were in California, um, and then we came back around the same time about in uh, July. So, it's, love- so, you know, I wrote this book. It's about the 50 states, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the questions they ask me all the time is, do people or people ever, you know, when they're born, does that make them who they are? I go, yes, but some people are meant to be other places. And I, re- I always use Daryl Hammond as the example. I go, some people, no matter where they're from, I said, he's from Dothan, Alabama. He's from South Florida, North Florida. I go, but he's meant to be in New York. I said, <laughs> some people are just born to be here. And some people from New York are meant to be down someplace else. You know, like I have an aunt that was born in New York, but she loves it in the country. And I said, Daryl was meant to be in New York City. He's a night person. He smokes. He wears black. He's just a New Yorker <laughs> in the West Side. And that's been the case, right? You feel yeah, like that, you're just meant to be here. Well, that's the big difference from the West Side. Yes. But I'm saying you from the time, the city doesn't matter if it's bad or good. The minute you were here, you were home for some weird reason, right? Yeah, it's, it's true. And, you, you know, your theory about that is so true because not everyone can live in New York. And some people just have to. Yes, but some people live in New York and they seem like they're, they're forcing themselves to be New Yorkers. Which um, is born to be here. I know. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, mean, I was out in California because, um, you know, I had these, these doctors I was going to out there. I was doing stuff at UCLA for um, type 2 diabetes, and there was a good reason to be there. And plus, you know, there were great sets at the comedy store anytime. Um, you know, there's a lot of good reasons sure. to be there. Lots of voiceover work, but all that shit dried up. And uh, I couldn't really afford to have two apartments. You know, I was really fucking yeah. a luck. I was a lucky dog. I, a lot of things had come my way and I had two homes and now I have one home that I can't afford. But um, <laughs> I don't know if, I don't do know if you, you, huh? Do you feel, I mean, you know me, I've been here my whole life. I feel like this is the first time in the history of New York where I'm like, ah, I don't know. You know what I mean? Well, I, heard I actually you, I, think 
I heard you on the Joe Rogan podcast uh, recently where you're talking about possibly, possibly leaving. I mean, a lot of people in New York share that sentiment. I know a lot of people in L.A. got out of L.A. There's a lot of exodus in L.A. And then people here in New York are obviously moving to Connecticut and Jersey and, like, just trying to get out of the city now. It's, it's, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. There's a, there's a moving plant. You know, when, you walk, when I walk around the Upper West, every block is blocked by a moving van. You know, yes. yeah. um, it, it's sort of interesting. People think, you know, if I go somewhere else, COVID won't be so bad. And yet that may not be true. Oh, no, that's it's COVID. But it's also just I mean, Upper West Side went crazy again, you know, this summer. We're yeah. like homeless. It was like the 80s. Remember Upper West Side yeah. in the 80s? You're walking down. Every street had its own homeless guy in the middle of the street yelling and screaming with no shirt on. Yeah. And uh, that kind of came back, but apparently it was a little rougher. And um, Yeah. Yeah. And these are new, new, um, th- these are, these are updated um, um, homeless people with the, the, the I don't, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but they feel very comfortable and entitled with what they're doing. Yeah. And are yeah. a little, little fucking aggressive, to be honest with you. That's, everybody says it, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a different, if I was, it's a different homeless if I was person a, now. If I was a yeah. tough guy or I was packing heat or... But when people yeah. come up to me on the street and start with, can I talk to you for a second? Can I talk to you? I just want to fucking talk, man. I want to fucking talk. Yeah. And you're like, wow. Yeah. Okay. Because they're... Sorry, Chris, but they're millennial homeless people. <laughs> I mean, they kind of are. I mean, I don't know. There's a, right. a guy asked me for today. I was out uh, to lunch today, and this guy comes up. He's like, you know, he's asking every table for money. And then I was the final table with uh, me and this and this uh, lady that I'm, I'm dating. And um, and he, we said, oh, we don't have any cash. We just need the credit card. That's it. And the guy just goes, "You two fucking Jews, always oh. with the Jews." And I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> and he just what? walked away and I was like, dude, are you out of your mind? Like what? Like, <laughs> oh like my God. and all these That's other great. tables around us were like, Jesus, what did you say? I'm like, nothing. I just told him I didn't have any cash. Like, right. yeah. well, <laughs> I was like, first of all, I'm not even Jewish, but you know, thank you for the compliment. Um, well, right. Colin, that's, that, Colin, that's an extremely funny line. They're millennial homeless people that they yeah. got to, these got these homeless people have a tood. Oh man, and, and, you know, and the, uh, the millennial the millennial homeless thing is 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 spot on because a lot of them now have their Venmos, where they hold a sign up saying Venmo, oh, yeah. and it's. <laughs> Darryl, like, do you know that? No, I haven't heard. Darryl, that. do you know that's happening? Yes. If you don't have any cash, you could just you could just send it electronic. It's fine. I take Venmo. Oh, cool. <laughs> it's crazy. Every homeless person has a cell phone. You're right. Yeah, it's it's um, nuts, man. It was just the old school, the old days. On my corner today, about three o'clock, was a um, a fight with two homeless guys running around, and it was like the old days where people just sit. I was leaning out my window, and I was watching it for you know three minutes or whatever, and it was just a brawl, a territorial brawl between two homeless guys, you know, and um, it just reminded me of like back in the days. When's the last time you see a street fight in New York, you know? Those days used to be every day, you know. Uh, yeah, and 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 these street fights, the folks in them 
aren't uh, especially fleet afoot. So <laughs> if one is chasing the other, it's half a hobble, you know, but they're chasing. Yeah, as that's throwing, exactly what it was. As if they're on the horseback. Do you recall yes. talking about um, being in a cab and ha- the cab driver having a fight with another cab <laughs> Another oh, cab yeah. driver. Yeah. Something Another about something that had began 300 years ago in Tikrit and it was still. Right. So 300 years ago in like the Khyber Pass. And now they've, you know, resolving it while you're in the cab. And then you and the other <laughs> pass, you feel, like, you feel like you have to fight. But, yeah. but even cabbies, they're all gone. You get in a cab, the cab driver's like, thank you. I can't believe it, you know. <laughs> Like, oh, thank you for never downloading Uber, apparently. Um, yeah. But, but I, I don't want to use the name Uber, so I'm not going to use the name Uber. But if, if, okay. if, I, if, if I had a car service like Uber, not Uber, right. I would be mindful of the idea that if I put 40,000 of my cars, and I mean 40,000 of my cars on a seven-square-mile island, that I might be jamming it up. Yeah. Like I go yeah. to my shrink, she's 2.1 miles away. Sometimes it's 90 minutes. Yeah, well that's what the, <laughs> the city was trying to do that. Remember they were cutting they're cutting out Ubers. They're like no new no more new Uber licenses. You guys are fucking you're you're, you're gumming up the works. <laughs> like, yeah. So they It's just that the island is so damn small, man. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's an island like if a yeah. box of apples falls off a truck, that's the day's over. <laughs> yeah. right. That's right. Now, and now a lot of cabbies have Uber license. You know, a lot of the cabbies are doing both. Oh, yeah, they do both. I've had uh, – I've ordered an Uber and a cab has pulled up. And they're like, hey, That's I'm right. your Uber. And I'm like, but you're in a cab. <laughs> like, what? Fuck. Oh, yeah. They have no choice. Uber killed, killed them. You know yeah, what they're, I mean? they're, yeah. yeah, they're like, dude, I got time right now. So let's go. <laughs> but you you guys, you two guys, you two guys are uh, old and, school New Yorkers. Sorry. Oh, yeah. And you guys – I'm someone that's lived here more or less since I was 21 years old. And uh, um, I don't know how to be anywhere else. Uh, I've just lived yeah. here too long. And I, as, much as, as much as L.A. is nice and they have great 12-step programs and there are great doctors and all that, and it's beautiful, you know, as Colin has said, I've lived here since I was 21 years old. Yeah, I'm telling you, half my interviews, they say that, and I go, Daryl Hammond is the example of somebody <laughs> who's born to be in New York no matter where he grew up. <laughs> and it's just some people, just, this is their thing. You know, nighttime, just there's something about it. And me and Daryl go way back, we go back to Orlando, remember? Is that how you guys first met, or did you first meet out here in New York for SNL? We met no, we, we, we met when Colin was uh, on doing remote control in Orlando. Oh, um, what a with, great show, man. With, <laughs> with, among other people, Adam Sandler. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I got hired um, by a local talent agent to be warm-up. Okay. Oh, shit. Warm-up. Where did you live, Daryl? I lived in Orlando. I lived on Denning Drive in Winter Park. So Got you it. guys were out on, on Disney property. I didn't know that filmed in, yes. in Florida. So I it came all over. Well, when I okay. came to 
And I was just starting out as a stand-up. So I came to warm up the crowd, and I think they let me last one day, and after my second day, they fired me. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> the guy said, you have no energy. This is an upbeat show. You know, people want to cheer. They don't, and um, they fired me. And so I was pretty blue about that. Uh, I was really taking it to heart that I had no energy. So I'm backstage there, and I'm like, I'm never going to make it. You know, the speech you give yourself, I'm never going to make it. I'm having low energy. And Colin comes around the corner to talk to me to make me feel better. I don't remember what it was you said, but you made me feel better. Like, you're like, this is, you're like a fucking business, man. Do you remember any of that, yeah. Colin? I do. I remember, I remember talking to Daryl. But okay. I didn't know, I don't remember what I said or what he said, but I do remember that whole time when he was the warm-up. For some reason, I, it sticks out of my mind. And then we meet in New York doing comedy a couple of times at the cellar, and um, we did all those gigs. Early 90s, early 90s was the comedy collapse, right, Daryl? You probably moved to New York right during the collapse. I did. I did, and I was... I moved to New York, and I was turned down by every club in the city at least one time. Um, I finally got a pass at the Comedy Cellar because of a comic named Dennis Regan, who gave me a reference. But mostly right. it was me going around the clubs at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, um, playing to audiences that didn't really want to see comedy. They were just right. walking down the street, and someone hit him with, hey, three-for-one drinks, if you'll come in here. Oh, God. And oftentimes they wouldn't be facing the stage, and oftentimes they couldn't understand a word coming out of my mouth. And um, that, that, that stand-up comedy is fucking hard, man. And But I caught a break, and then I ended up, do you remember the night we ended up on the dusty streets of Little Italy, sitting outside of Umberto's? Daryl, you don't understand... I mean, I think you had, but I know I had. We both had just gotten hired by SNL, and we both just got off the plane. I definitely just got, I think you did too. And before, we didn't know we were going to see each other. <laughs> we both, Shit. our first stop before we checked into our hotels was to go to Umberto's, and we <laughs> saw each other at the outside table. Yeah, Nothing more New York than, nothing's more New York than that movie. Oh, not at all, man. That's so great. Yeah, it's sort of like, uh, how can I celebrate? Umberto's. Umberto's. I want to eat that red sauce. I want to eat that scongeli. I want to look at those bullet holes that Joey Gallo and, and those guys supposedly were responsible for. You remember yeah. the bullet holes? And supposedly they were responsible. That was well. At the, yeah, that was still the old. We still at the old place on Hester Street, you know. And um, I'll tell you the scariest thing that happened to me there was the owner and his brother. The owner was, you know, he's the brother of one of the most notorious guys. He was like 6'6". You might have seen him a bunch of times. His hands were like, he looked like a pro football player. What was his, what was his uh, handle? What was his nickname? Uh, like Matty the Horse? It was, that's, his, that's who his brother was, right? This guy was, <laughs> Matt, you know, How did I know This that? guy was the liquidity. <laughs> Matty exactly the Horse. Right. And I, I think, I think <laughs> we lost Daryl. All right, I'm back, I'm back, don't get excited. <laughs> there we go. E-I-A-A. Yeah. And, um, but anyway, but his brother, 
who was the legitimate brother, I guess. He ran the place, but he was just as big, maybe big. And I came in there one night, and he just goes, he gave me the evil eye. You know how you go down there, there's nobody in there. It's late at night, yeah. two in the morning. He's just looking at me like this. And he walks over. I, I go, I'm going to sit over here. I met the guy like 10 times. He goes, get out of here. I go, what? He goes, you get out of here. If I see you here again, I swear to God. I go, what What? Did, what, I, what did I do? He goes, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Colin, there's a guy that comes in here that looks just like you. So I'm jerk up from Queens. If I see him again, I'm going to kill him. I don't know what the guy did to this. Day. Oh, I don't shit. Know you know, because you can only ask so many questions like, well, what did the guy do? You know, you don't want to be. Yeah, yeah. Indictable. You don't want to be culpable under testimony. So then what he was, he's looking like he wanted to kill me. I said, he must be involved too. And he was so big, you know. And uh, that must have been we, an, like so, a shit your pants type of moment where you're like, oh, fuck, what? I oh, fuck. Like, yeah, I thought he wanted to kill me. And my lookalike apparently is a troublemaker out there in Queens. And he was coming to John Burroughs to start and shit with people. Oh, Jesus, man. <laughs> Good old New York. Now, now Umberto's, Umberto's yeah. is roughly, what do you want to say, 200 feet from the Ravenite Social Club. Right, right. Which you said you had walked by uh, a couple of times, and I'm, I hope sure. I'm recalling this correctly. You had walked by there. Sure. And seen the senior, all the time. Yeah, and seen the senior administration of the Gambino crime family in the street. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did it's you ever talk... Did you have a talk with John Gotti? No, but you saw him. He, I told you, the cars would be passing by, and he'd just be looking in the car at people like he wanted to. He wanted them to get out and fight. Like he was like a teenager. Yeah. You used to tell me he would be on the street with his chest out like, who wants to go? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. Yes. He just was like a teenage kid. But Can I give you my... Huh? Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, Umberto's is one of the last places I saw Bill Hicks right before he died, too. He oh, there by himself. Well, he used the, to go there a lot. I mean, let's be real. The food was incredible. Is it still around? Is it still a place that's open? It's still a place. It moved right around the corner. So it's still in the area. Okay. You know, it moved. To, yeah. So can I tell Colin my worst drunk story? It's really short. Yeah, let's Chris. go. Yeah. It involves Umberto's. It involves the Ravenite Social Club. Okay. And it involves oh my God. I like this already. <laughs> it was the, it was the, I'd say the only time in my life I ever drank uh, like golden rum. I don't know right. what it was. I was a danger. Oh, I know what it was. I had been in the Caribbean and I'd been picked up on a possession of controlled substance and I'd done time, four days in jail, paid a fine, got the to come home but in my mind i way, thought i had been you go ahead you told me that story the caribbean you got to tell that one too but tell that after all right in my mind it's a great story I, in my mind i had been set up okay the dea told my dad that i had been set up i mean i got out of there alive because my father brought down twenty five hundred dollars american cash american and gave it to them and I was allowed to leave the island, but I did do four days in, in, in their version of jail, um, which was pretty startling. But anyway, that's another show. So I get back to New York, 
And I'm all determined that I'm going to be sober. Of course, no, I'm not going to be sober. So I go start at Dangerfields on this fucking rum. And then I went to another place on this fucking rum. And I remember in a cab going down to Little Italy and, and, and telling the cab driver, I want to go to Mulberry Street. I want to go to the Ravenite Social Club. I was going to ask John, I was going to ask John Gotti if I could work for him. Could I work for you? Could I, you know, I want to incur this debt with you, and I want to work it off for you. I'm a pretty funny guy, and maybe you know I can find some way to pay you back if you'll go down to the Caribbean and kill those fucking guys. Oh shit! And then I'll devote my life to you. That was in my head. So now, by the time I get to Ravenite, and I get out of the car, and there were there were these men, substantial looking oak tree legged men standing in front of social club, uh, the brave and I having cigarettes calling. I went up to them and I said, I really want to work for John Gotti. Like I want to, I told them, I explained, I wanted to work for John Gotti oh my God. <laughs> because I wanted his help with something and I wanted to pledge my devotion to him. So you know how things get blurry at, the, at that point of the drunk? Yeah. And I remember these beefy men laughing at me, <laughs> ha, 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 laughing, slapping me on the back. And I wake up the next morning on a sand pile behind the Ravenite Social Club. And I look and my chest um, had red all over it. And I was like, oh, my God, do you know I had marinara sauce on my chest? They had fed me. Oh my God. So you were like bare chested with just marinara? No, 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 no. My clothes were covered in marinara oh, okay. sauce. I thought you were like bare chested. Oh my God. I had gone there trying to get a job, and I guess they'd give me something to eat and put put them in a sand pile out back. Yeah. Let them sleep <laughs> it off. Huh? Let them sleep it off. But, but how'd you man. But how'd you get out of there? Nothing. They put me on a sand pile. In the <laughs> back. I will, in the morning. Huh? In the oh, morning, you get out? It was. It would. I walked through an alley to the street, right. one block over from Mulberry. Wow! And I just thought I, I got fed. <laughs> <laughs> I those are like those are like the nicest mobsters you've ever met. Like you're like, hey, I feed really him and put him out back. Yeah, but you know, I'm such a dope. I'm like, yeah, I want to talk to Mr. Gotti. You know, you know, I respect Mr. Gotti. I want to talk to John Gotti. I ended up in a fucking sand pile. <laughs> Mary Harris. Huh? Oh, that's so funny. That's well, you know, that, Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Just, they, were so nice to me. they were so nice to me. It was like, I don't know. You probably Let made them sleep. laugh. You probably, you probably made them laugh, you know? Mm-hmm. You probably, you probably did, did an impression of Gotti <laughs> through their face. You probably did some impressions that made them laugh. Yeah. You know? I, 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 I did it. Yeah, I did. You ever do one of the? They would call them the, the mob parties. Like you would go and perform at someone's house, and there'd be a buffet. No, no. I did one of those. It was amazing. I mean, first of all, they had the, they had the legend about them that I don't care what you say about them. They always pay, and do a comic starting out. That's like, really, they always pay. So right. I did a job one night. I think Ray Romano might have even been there, and it was wonderful. The guy walks up to me with a folded up 20, goes, 
That one about the Ayatollah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Something for your they troubles. Tipped you. <laughs> yeah. They tipped you. <laughs> the one about the Ayatollah. Very nice. You understand? Yeah. That's hilarious. And you got paid? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got paid real great. It was and fun, and the people were nice. And fed. Great experience. But, um, um, when you talk about... When you talk about Caribbean prison, the Adam Leslie, remember Adam Leslie? I do. Yep, that's that shows you remember him. The way he just said, I go, remember Adam Leslie? Chris, he goes, I do. Because <laughs> Adam drained us all of trust, love, money. He was just Who was he? Terrible. What's that? Who was he? How did, how did you guys all know him? Oh, comedian. comedian. Okay. He was a comedian that would go to, you know, like, he'd walk you, if you saw him on the street, be like, hey, let's go over to the New York Comedy Club. And then he'd go there, and while you were walking in, the bartender would be jumping over the counter because he'd go in and grab three bottles of scotch and run out. Oh, God, Jesus Christ. The fuck? He was always, always, and he would land on his feet. He would get all these jobs. He would land on his feet. So he'd end up working a cruise ship. And then he'd mess that up and he'd work a, you know, he'd get a job warming up some, it was always, it was like this bizarre thing with him. And, but anyway, he went to the Caribbean and he was, got off the boat to buy drugs and the guy took him in the jungle. Oh God. And he goes, I'm in the jungle, we're in like one of the little, you know, and he goes, we're walking for like an hour. And he goes, I meet the, the local, he's almost like a warlord that sells all the drugs. And he goes, I don't know. He goes, I thought they were going to kill me. For some reason, they didn't. He gets the drugs, but ends up getting busted by the local authorities in town. So he feels yeah. like they might have set up. And he had to lie. He said four days in a Caribbean jail, lying there, and you couldn't. It was so hot, but you were lying next to other guys. There's no space between you. So you literally can't stand up. Oh. You have to lie down for four days on the dirt floor in the... 105 degree, whatever, humid. And he's just lying there for four days sweating. And nobody can move. Yeah, I mean, in the one I was in, I went in a general holding cell where there was a crack in the ceiling. And that crack provided the only oxygen or light for the room. And a guy got hit with a sawed-off pool cue. And, you know, I don't know how I, I don't know, I don't know how I survived seeing that. But the guy was like, I guess someone came into me and said to them and said, he's an American. All right. You should put him in his own cell, which was about five by four um, with dried feces on the floor. And the thing, the thing that I learned was if I had been convicted in that court, when I had my arraignment, if I had been convicted, I would have done um, two years in a cell that was only three feet tall. That's the kind of cell you're talking about, Colin. That's crazy. You would have been in yeah. a three-foot cell for two years. Yeah, and there's no toilet. So this is this is what I was told. So you you literally live in your own shit, and it takes about 90 days to, to die of putrefaction Ugh. and sepsis. Jesus. But, you know, my father looks at this fucking thing when I tell him he, I call him on the phone. I'm like, Dad, they're going to put me in a cell for two fucking years, man. I won't even be able to fucking stand up. 
and um, nice. and I'm trying and I'm trying to get him mad at them, right? And he's like, "Why do why do they want to do that?" And I go, um, "Well, I, I guess I was partying a little bit." And he goes, "What do you mean you partying? You mean some weed?" I'm <laughs> like, "No, I, I guess I kind of bought a little coke." <laughs> he goes, "You bought coke in the Caribbean?" I go, "I guess I kind of did, Dad." Oh. <laughs> he goes. Well, son, if you don't want the light to come on, don't flick the switch. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, okay, great. Words to live by, Pa. Yet, yeah. here I sit in a Caribbean jail. So he flew down there. and Well, I'm, I'm glad he did, took, man. They took the money. There you go. Yeah. What year was that? Colin, it was like, I think, early 90s. It was bef- before I met you. I mean, I came back to New York and went right back on stage at the cellar. Right. You know, um, but, but the arrogance of me, what an arrogant fuck. <laughs> Come on, Dad. You know, it's like, Dad, I mean, if they had just fucking, you know, not offered me no Coke, I would have <laughs> had no problem. He's like, Come on, man. Now, weren't you, weren't you, didn't you start comedy? Did you have another job before you started comedy? I feel like you did something for a while. I was, I was uh, on a radio show in Orlando when I met you. Right. Doing voices for the morning show. And did you still play baseball? You were a great baseball player. I still played softball behind um, um, the UCF football field. You know, I could still hit it, but, you know, back then in my late 20s, I could still hit pretty well. Um, did you get to play in those New York show leagues? No, I never did. And yet, I, I often went to um, the Brooklyn softball field behind Cadman Plaza, and it was a men's league, and it was a really fucking good league, and I, I used to go watch their games. They were such great games. And the best team in the league, their shortstop, was um, a woman. And I said to someone in the stands, I was like, I'm kind of surprised in this men's league in Brooklyn that this woman is holding down a key position. And the guy says to me, whoever has the best throwing arm plays short. That's all. (laughs) Okay. I was like, something about that is pretty goddamn charming. (laughs) Now, you you two, um, when – when you guys uh, started working on SNL, you kind of knew each other a little bit beforehand. Was it easier to have Daryl like as a buddy because you knew him? I don't know if you guys knew anybody else working there already, but we knew we knew the other comedians. We knew Jim Brewer, the stand-ups. Yeah, um, I guess we knew Fred Wolf. We knew the stand-up, yeah. the stand-up, then Groundlings and Second City people. Three groups. Okay. No. Right. Yeah, and, and no knew- one. Could- no one could really understand why he was Lauren was hiring stand-ups, but right. I, I think this supposedly a method to that madness. And he's been hiring and, a lot more since, you know. I mean, like these these newer casts now are are pretty stacked with stand-ups. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, stand-ups. It was it was just three. There was three categories of people, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so the so the Groundlings was like Will and Sherry and that crew, mm-hmm. you know. And then the Second City crew was like, yeah, McKay and those guys, you know what I mean? 
and then it was us, the stand-ups. Now, so do, you remember, kept... do you remember your audition process? Well, I just did stand-up in L.A. I got hired as a writer because I did stand-up in L.A., and you could not have bombed worse than I bombed. <laughs> but then they're like, mm, he's got good writing, so they hired me as a writer. Okay. You know? And then you got promoted so, to the cast after that. Yeah. And then um and then uh we we yeah, me and Daryl knew each other pretty well. And we knew Norm and we knew the other stand up guys, Brewer and those guys. So I guess That's we cool. kept the click that way. So Colin, I mean you let you were five years in the show? Five years. And I remember um I don't know if you'll recall this, but I um I had just walked out of a really great bar on 8th Avenue and I was climbing into a cab and you were walking down 56 and 8th and I'm like, Hey Colin, what's up? And you had just left the show and you yelled out, we beat the devil. We beat the devil. <laughs> right. We both lasted five years on network. Both lasted TV. five years. I remember that. Yeah. Cause we didn't think we'd let, you know what I mean? Well, I remember that Umberto's were like, wow, what the hell is this? You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I was always sure that I was going to get tapped on the shoulder. Oh, right yeah. Going. We made a fucking mistake with you. so Right. Oh, yeah. But well, you ended up um, hosting Weekend oh, Update. The, uh, what's that? Anchoring, you, it, anchoring yeah. Weekend Update. Yeah, you were great as an anchor. You were, the great, you were one of the best anchors that Weekend Update had, man. I loved it. Well, thank That's, you. They didn't feel that way, and I certainly didn't. But what happened was... <laughs> But my time on the show, my first two and a half years there before Weekend Update was that I loved every minute of it. I loved being on the show. I was thrilled to come in. My last two years doing Weekend Update was misery. For me, Lauren, it was just not a good thing. You know what I mean? Oh, fuck, man. I didn't know that. It was the exact opposite of my first two. And a lot of that was on me. And a lot of it was because... I was replacing Norm, so I did. I was so uncomfortable with the idea of me being the goody two shoes that replaced the guy that got fired for being that. I just sabotaged it a lot. Without this is stuff I knew years later. I realized it a oh, long okay. time later. Like, but so I said a lot of it was me just being angry because I was so uncomfortable being that guy. That makes sense, yeah. You should have been better off not even doing it. But at the time, you're not going to say no, you're right there. Yeah. But I mean, in retrospect, that's what happened. But okay. it took me 15 years to even really realize that. Yeah, I mean, I my final two years, you know, I, there was a new administration. I didn't play anyone in the administration. There were new writers who didn't actually know me. And I remember the uncomfortable feeling of sitting in Lauren Michaels' uh, corner office overlooking the skating rink at 30 Rock, and you have that pitch meeting on Mondays, you know, when we go in. And I remember that really sinking sensation inside of me, which was sort of telling me, you're done. Your time's up. You had a really good run. Because no one tells you, oh, this shit comes to an end. Well, well... Yeah, no, hey, it's the way it is. I mean, we, it's the most, it's the greatest dream, but when it's, but it's over, you got to go, you know what I mean? And, but, um, but also the way you, you got to realize, you got to, 
do it the right way. You know, there's different things. By the way, here's a funny one. So the first show, right, Chris, uh, they're doing this OJ sketch with OJ's lawyers. Okay. So they went Daryl to play one of the lawyers. I don't know who it is. F. Lee Bailey. So wanted, F. Lee Bailey. So they wanted to be shirtless. This is our first week. This <laughs> shirtless. That's, that's, that, that, that's not the half of it. They also right, in full underwear. butt. You're, I mean, you have a, like a thong on. Right. A thong. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, well, we that's a nice started. We just started. <laughs> this is a dream for all of us. Yeah, right? welcome to the show. Now get naked. Welcome to the show. Now get naked. First, first week, Daryl goes, no. Ha! <laughs> He's like, I'm not doing that. Then... They're all freaking out, like, you've got to do it, because I'm not doing it. So he asked me, Mr. Great Advice, he goes, I go, yeah, you don't have to do it. Bullshit. Don't do it. I agree with Daryl. And I remember, Daryl go, yeah, and he didn't do it. And that's great. That's, a, that's great. I, I mean, I'm personally happy that I won't have to. Trust, trust me when I tell you, it's not great, and it wasn't great. <laughs> you know? But you know what? You were right. Why did they have to... Why would they have to resort to this kind of grotesque, uh, you know? Well, I I just was saying, I'll do anything. I don't want to show my butt on TV. Well, well, let me just stop right now. If a sketch relies in the middle of the OJ trial on you showing your butt, maybe the sketch isn't written that well. Yeah, maybe it's not as strong. Maybe you should pull that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Absolutely. But anyway, the funny part was I'm sitting there giving he's he's asking me and I'm going, You're right, Daryl. Meanwhile, he caused a shitstorm. <laughs> it's the first week. Everybody's supposed to be grateful just to be there. And he's like, I'm not doing it. And I just love that about him. Oh, it's like, amazing. I'm not doing it. And, and I and I worked, you know, I've been dreaming about this now for tw- almost twenty years. And now I finally have it. But I just couldn't I couldn't fucking take my clothes. I just no, well, it's a weird Sorry. request. It, it sounds like it was just they were just right. Yeah, it sounds I'm like, like there's. Just, I'm like there's so down. many. You know, there's so many kinds of tribal dress or African garb or there's so many ways you can dress me besides my bare ass. You know, it and was I, just. I, it wasn't a sketch about some. It was a. It was a sketch about the OJ sketch. It was just camp nonsense. Yeah, but, but Daryl stood his ground, and I mean, he stood his ground. <laughs> I mean, all the major people, network people, Lorne, they were all saying, "You got to do it." And he's like, "I'm not doing it." <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm so glad you told that story, man, because I was. Gonna- let me let me tell you something. That would involve a level of psychological humiliation so fucking severe for me as a person. It would have fucked me my shit up so bad. I was literally fighting for my life on this thing. I was like, I will yeah. do anything. I'll work and for free. What? I just and guess can't. what? Nobody would have cared. And you saved yourself with that Bill Clinton impression, right? At a minimum. Dana Carvey because mostly sa- saved me. What's that? Dana what Carvey it? mostly saved me because really? I had been going through a really difficult year. And it was pretty clear I wasn't going to make it um, on the show. So Dana comes in and goes, I don't care what happens. You're going to do Phil Donahue and I'm going to do Carson and I'll write it. 
and we're going to be on the, and I went on the air. It was my first real score. Phil Donahue. That's right. That's right. And so he was the one that did it, huh? And then you did Clinton. See the Clinton thing. You always had the voice, but then Daryl would sit in his office. It's a good lesson for anybody who's, who's doing characters or impressions. Daryl would sit in that office and by hours and watch Clinton. And he not only got all these little nuances that nobody else had. Everybody doing Clinton afterwards is doing things that Daryl did. Yeah. But biting the, the but it's also he picked up words, just words that weren't punchlines, but that Clinton said that made you go, ah, that's Clinton, because he watched him so fanatically. Yeah. Right? Daryl used to tell him. He did literally four weeks. He studied it. Literally, um, I um, I got in my first half of my first season, I got to do Ted Koppel, and I didn't get a single laugh, but I did a pretty good impression. I literally went back to NBC after the show and started working again. Because I was like, man, these I'm getting fired, and I know it. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, lot of, there's a lot of pressure on that show. You always feel like you, you can never relax because, you know, it's such a high, you know, high, I guess, impact show. I don't know. It's I've never obviously worked on it, but uh, I just all the people that we talked to that were former SNL guys um, are all say the same thing. They're like, yeah, you just you do as much as you can to not get fired because you're always worried that you may get replaced. You know, and, well, no well, one really I, ever talks about the degree of difficulty in getting a sketch, just getting it on the air. Yeah, and then and then scoring with it. I mean, there's so many things up against you because it's a live show. And I remember yeah. calling it. Do you remember the one um, we did with Sammy Bull and, and Gotti? And I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think was I Gotti or you Gotti? You were Gotti, was, and you were Sammy Bull. Yeah. And it, do I remember this correctly? There were members of um, Mr. Gotti's family in the audience that night. <laughs> I think that's that's what it was. Yeah, we were told that there would there would be plenty of them there. <laughs> no pressure, guys. No pressure. And I walk out there. and I'm like, I I, I can't do it. I, how am I supposed to do John Gotti? No, I don't think because I had been on stage at Dangerfields one night, and all I said on stage was, "So today I uh, went to cabin president of Brooklyn, and you know." Was, you know, that's where the John Gotti trial is. And I hear from the back of the room at Dangerfields, I hear a voice say, no jokes about John Gotti. I was like, <laughs> I wasn't going to joke. Just said, no, no jokes about John Gotti. I'm like, oh, yeah. Fair enough. So okay. Remember Bobby? Bobby gives me this. Yeah. He's like, he's, he gives me this thing like. Wrap it up. Wrap. Get off. And I <laughs> I get off stage and I go, what the fuck did I do? He goes, you don't tell jokes about Mr. Gotti. Do you understand? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I sure do understand. And I wasn't going to do it anyway. Why? You right, know? Right. Of course that would happen yeah. at Dangerfields. What a, that, that, that place has never changed, man. It's always that dark, dingy, hole-in-the-wall yes. place. And it's like that's a definite place you would think that somebody that works for Gotti or, or works with Gotti would be in the back. Oh, of course. I mean, remember, remember, he was a beloved figure in my life. Yeah. I, I wanted, you wanted to work for him. <laughs> I was trying to get a job with the guy. 
Um, man, I mean, what? So, uh, Kyle, I don't, I know we don't really know each other, but uh, I am a stand up. I've been doing it for 15 years, mostly in LA, and then I've been out here for like uh, about seven years now. Um, what's that? Was that nice? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what was the stand up scene like back, you know, when you started in New York? Compare, I mean, obviously it's so different now, but uh, I mean, is Dangerfield still the same from what you remember? And like the same. Dangerfield was the same. Bobby was even, Bobby used to pick people up. By their neck and take him out of the club. They'd yeah, that's a Scottish guy, right? He was a yes. Yeah, a I, I remember. Bull. He was a bull. And um, yeah, the stand-up scene <laughs> I started was all on the east side except for the improv. So you either were an improv act, a catch a rising star act, or a comic strip act. You know, and Dangerfield was just whatever. Always what it was. Even Rodney would come up to catch to work on his material. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's it's like, my own club sucks. I gotta go. <laughs> That's, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's you know, it was always whatever it was, you know. And then, um, the Catch Rising Star was the club. So when I got it, when I passed there in like '86, I was just on top of the world. Like that was the elite club. Yeah. Catch Rising Star, and um, and and the improv was the West Side crowd. So. It was mostly everybody you saw, you were like, they're going to make, almost everybody that came, it was such a small scene compared to the one you guys have to be in. Like, we almost knew everybody. Yeah. Everybody in New York knew each other. We, we almost knew everybody in Boston or San Francisco. And you would make, you would go on the road and do Jersey one-nighters, 60, 80 bucks a night. So everybody kind of made a living. A few hundred a week in those days was enough. Your apartment costs like 600, 500 a month. Yeah. And just like this, it was this scene where everybody thought you're going to make it. No matter who you were, there was nobody you thought wasn't going to make it in some way in comedy. And yeah. then, you know, everybody just kept going on and suddenly more and more people came and people suddenly, I remember guys dropping out of comedy and I'm going, are they crazy? Nobody's not going to make it. Everybody's going to make it. Because you'd see people go on stage and get yeah. laughs for 20 minutes. And that was like, you're saying, that how could a person with the talent to go yeah. on stage and make people laugh? And have the, how could they not have something that makes it big? Because even audiences, when I started, it was just that point where everybody in audiences would, like if I told people I'm a comedian, they'd be like, what? A comedian? <laughs> That's insane. It was just at that point, like 85, 86. This guy's a comedian. That's the craziest thing. People didn't even, you know, imagine it. They didn't even say, where can we come see you? They were just like, there's a comedian here. This is the wildest news that I've ever heard. <laughs> what a maverick move. And, and, you know, it was like um, playing guitar and, in like 19. <laughs> at, at your peak, how many sets would you do in a year? A year? Yeah. Like, I mean, to me, I was on stage almost every night. Me too. If sure. I could get up, if I could get up, I'd get up. Yeah, no, I did about, yeah, over 300, of course. You know, I'm probably, probably counting two shows Saturdays and Fridays. Yeah, probably 400 maybe, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Because I was, I was living in L.A., and I, I actually started down in San Diego, then I moved to L.A., and 
LA scene, man, it was, I moved to LA in 2008 and, uh, I'd already been doing it for a few years at that point, but I mean, I was a nobody. I move up there and they value in LA. It's a different way of life. They value the fame over the talent for the most part. I mean, obviously there's some clubs that will nurture, you know, comics and and, and they see talent or whatever, but like, you know, I, it was just, it was hard. Like, I mean, look, I'm talking like a great week in LA was like three sets in a week, three sets. You're like, holy shit. Like, you know, and that's like a normal thing we do in a night here in New York. So I, I, I stayed there for a little bit and everyone was always like amazed that I wasn't trying to be an actor. Like, wait, you're not trying to be an actor. I'm like, well, I do it if people, you know, get me auditions, but I mean, it's, I'd rather learn this, this stand up and be better at it. And that's why I moved to New York. Cause I was like, you know, I can actually be better at, at, at the craft and learn yeah. and, and work my ass. I mean, I'm doing, you know, I was begging clubs when I got here, like, uh, you know, getting, I got paid regular status at like Broadway and like, you know, then finally the comic strip and, and then, you know, started like going from there. And then I'm, you know, I'm begging guy like, you know, bookers. I'm like, just give me the midnights. I'll close the midnight show on a Saturday, which nobody fucking wants to do. You know, I'm going right. up at two o'clock right. in the morning doing a guest set half the time. And they, I was like, that, that's what it takes. I just want the stage time. And it's going to make you better because you're dealing with a shit show. You know, those fucking prom night shows and all that shit. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, everyone's here. So <laughs> Colin, do you remember, um, I think you put like a, there was some press about me and there was a picture of me in one of the national newspapers. And again, <laughs> I came to work one day <laughs> And Colin had put a dial had put it on my door and written a dialogue bubble, and the dialogue said it had a picture of me doing this, and the dialogue said, "Fucking brilliant, man!" And you <laughs> used to t- you used to do your impression of me, and that was the the line you always used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you still do a good impression of Daryl. It's my only impression. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it's fucking, <laughs> <laughs> fucking brilliant, man. Could be more, but I forget. I forget what he used to say. You know what I mean? But he well, no, and, and, <laughs> and then you would have someone say to me, "Hey, Daryl, who's on the show this week?" Oh, well, this really happened one time, Chris. I, after I left the show, I'm talking to Daryl. And he's sitting at, we're sitting at the table at the comedy cellar getting ready to do our sets, you know, so he's preoccupied. And I'm just, you know, I'm not on the show anymore. And I go, so the show this week, he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I go, I go, who's the, who's the guest, you know, who's the host? And he goes, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I was like, I forgot how it was. He was basically saying to me, like, come on, man, you're on the show. After a while, you just, it's just all caught up. <laughs> I laugh so hard. I don't fucking know. Yeah, because after a while, you just do the next right thing all day. Whatever the fuck is in your face is what you deal with. Yeah. But yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't believe I said I don't fucking <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But, the, um, but doing those, doing, like when Chris was saying about doing those uncomfortable late shows, what it prepares you for is right now. Because people, like I did a, I've done two shows since this COVID thing. One was in a gazebo. Oh, God. And one was in a tent. (laughs) So if there was any part of me that was uncomfortable, those shows would have gone terrible. But from all those years of doing uncomfortable shows, 
you have to be comfortable. Oh yeah. The only rule of stand up, the most number one rule to me is you don't get to be uncomfortable on stage. No. You're not allowed to be uncomfortable. You can be bad, you can be good. They can hate you, but they can never feel sorry for you. That's a good point, yeah. man. That's that's dead on because if you show any sort of weakness, people are gonna be like, Ah, we fucking paid for this and they start heckling and they start yelling shit and they get upset. They can, like, even, yeah, they can hate me. Yeah. They can never feel bad for me. Well that's the thing. If, you, if your jokes suck, you just gotta own it. You know? Yeah. I'm never yeah, gonna because be once the audience knows that you hate them, it's the end of the night. Show's oh, over. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I remember being, um, I think Colin may, may or not remember this when I was, it was my first night I was on this stage at Catch Rising Star in Yonkers and I no, began shooting, st- star. I st- shooting huh? star. It was called shooting, shooting star. And gradually the audience, they were drinking out of fish bowls with, giant long sippy straws this is like 60 ounces of long island iced tea and they're sipping and i gradually began to hate them and they could smell it (laughs) and i left the stage as a guy in the audience said he's wounded finish him off oh god (laughs) (laughs) oh man can't write you can't write that no, yeah. but I mean, what you were saying, Holly, you're know, doing these tent shows, you're doing these fucking gazebo ones. I'm doing, when I first got back here, I started doing these sidewalk shows that, that like, you know, New York Comedy Club had these sidewalk shows and yes. it, it was fine, but it was also rough because people literally, I'm standing on the sidewalk telling jokes and people are walking straight in front of you because they're, you're yep. walking the sidewalk. And then, you know, there was other comics, one comic I was telling talking about this in a previous podcast is another guy who was up there doing stand-up and he was they showed that weakness and he tried to do a terrible joke like, like kind of insult the guy that was walking by and the guy turned around and you're like and he, it, it, this is the moment where you're like oh it's still new york because he turned around and he was like the fuck you say and like and he was like just kidding just doing a joke oh my god please don't hit me and you're like jesus christ dude like Uh, Oh, no. Yeah, so So, I you know, felt bad for them. But that's the shit we had to do now. And this is the state of comedy now. This is what we're doing. Daryl, you did did street shows, right? Oh, yeah, I'm just sure. I did a couple. I remember Daryl did street shows. You mean, you're talking back in in the day? Yes. Yeah, like you would just go to, like, Washington Square Park and put a hat in front of you and people knew that that meant you were going to do a show and you just start talking to everyone. Yeah, oh, you man. Those, right? oh, and, and, you know, sometimes you could have a decent set. It's pretty hard. Um, it's hard. It's great. I, I remember uh, you did those. Well, do you remember the guy named Charlie Parker that did that better than anybody Charlie else? Barnett. Uh, Charlie Barnett. Barnett. I mean? yes. Charlie Barnett did it better than anybody. Yeah. The long but, hand, long fingers. But it, it, it's that period in your life when you've got to get up tonight. You've got to get on stage. You've got to get out in front of a crowd. You've got to try this new fucking joke out. You have to. And if I have to stand in the fucking street and make a jerk out of myself to tell this new fucking joke, I- I'm going to do it. Do it. And that's I'll tell you who was better than Charlie Barnett, Rick Avilas. I never knew that until after after I knew him. I didn't realize how good he was on, in the street. Um, remarkable talent. Yeah. This is a little uh, a little off topic, kind of. But um, somebody told me that you, when you do stand up comedy, you have a point system for your jokes. Is that right? No. 
you do oh somebody was like yeah he's the kind of point system and he, he just gives points to every joke that he does and i was like i've never heard that before Point. points what does that mean i don't know I, somebody just told that to me and i was like well i'll ask like him about I, it on the podcast like what do i do <laughs> i i rate my jokes like how would you yeah, even know i guess how, i don't how know that even work? i don't know but, but somebody, i would I ask you that today and i think maybe now they're fucking with me <laughs> It was probably, it was another guy. It was like, dude, ask him about the point system. And now I'm like, he's going to listen to this and be like, you fucking idiot, you dickbag. I can't believe you asked him. Uh, All right, well, fuck. Um, Well, that's cool, man. I mean, do you have any any other good stories before uh, we wrap up with maybe with Daryl back, you know, either from remote control or SNL or anything that was, uh, that's fun that we can. Just that, just that. When I when I first knew Daryl, mm-hmm. he was very, you know, Daryl's could be a very uh, private person. So I just remember standing on Eighth Avenue one time. We knew each other for like two years. I go, Daryl, we work on the same show. <laughs> we are both stand-ups. We go to the same clubs every night. We also, through other circumstances, we have the exact same friends. And I barely know you. Yeah. <laughs> I said, we spend 20 hours together. We're together. And I barely know you. And he just looked at me like this. And we both smoked it up. And it was so funny. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. I mean, me and Daryl, we really do have a history like few people do. Yeah. I know he was excited to have you on. I mean, uh, I know you guys go way back. And uh, obviously that SNL oh, bond back. big. And, you know, yeah, we'd love to have you back on for a longer uh, a longer. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, before you go, uh, I know you have a great new book out. Oh, you mentioned it in the beginning, but what's the, what's the book so people can find it? Oh, thank you. It's called Overstated. It's a roast of all 50 states, you know. Oh, it's so awesome, it's man. It's pretty, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, cool. And I'm sorry, Derek. Go ahead. I just think Colin, Colin's social and political critiques, you know, I don't know what you were doing back when you started remote control, but the time that you, by the time you were um, doing shows with Jerry, um, it was social commentary that was sort of, you know, on par with, with Will Rogers and shit. You know, those guys from the twenties, thirties, forties, vaudeville things that got out there and talked about the state of the union. It was just amazing stuff to watch. So yeah. yeah, I've heard great things about your one man shows, man. Uh, That's I've I've been, so critically acclaimed and obviously a lot of comics you know that's where you want the you, you want to hear from the comics i mean because we're all stand-ups and you always want to hear when other comics just love you know seeing that and you're like dude you get to respect your peers and it's um you gotta you gotta hard out Thank right you. you gotta leave at seven right you hard out guys okay. i'm gonna okay. go home and i'm not gonna rate my jokes <laughs> yeah, right. go put the point system together. Like, can't believe I fell for that. But hey, man, thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast. Awesome um, and everybody, follow him on Twitter, Colin Quinn. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll see you around, Colin. Take thank care, you guys. Definitely. All right. Take care. See you, man. Colin, oh, God, what a great guest, dude. I love Colin. I'm so bummed that he had to go so soon. Oh, what a great interview. And I, I hope we get him back soon because it's fun just listening to stories with you two, man. And it really. It made my day. He's uh, he's he's so fucking cool and respected in the comedy community, man. Every single comic. He's a comics comic, and I wish I had more time to ask him about Tough Crowd. I should have asked him because I loved Tough Crowd. And uh, Joe Rogan actually pitched him the idea of doing it, bringing it back as a podcast. And I think mm. that, that would be pretty cool. 
Um, so yeah, maybe next time we get him back on, we'll ask him a little more about tough crowd and maybe he'll talk a little bit more, uh, you know, about Patrice and, and working with, you know, Geraldo and those guys and what a cool yeah. cast of characters he's been with. He's been, you know, one of those guys that he's just worked with everybody. He's just so, he's just a funny motherfucker. <laughs> he's also respected by everybody. You don't actually, Oh yeah. he's one of the few comics where when his name is mentioned, people don't shrug their shoulders like, oh, I can take him or leave him more, you know, not my thing. And you get you get that about people say that about truly great comics. I don't know, you know, I'm not a fan, but you never hear that about him. No, you always hear just nothing but great things about Colin. I mean, he's obviously you got your, your his TV stuff and, and his one man shows, but man, his his stand up for anybody who's listening who's never seen his stand up, watch his stand up. He's got so many specials. He's got shit on Netflix and HBO and you know, sure Comedy Central and all that, but like he is a killer and just very just a funny dude who every single comic just idolizes and loves and uh we have a term in the comedy community called comics comic where he's that guy that uh, comics absolutely love they pack the room to watch his set a lot of comics don't like watching each other's sets because uh, we've seen each other before we've seen each other like oh I've, you know the short guy jokes again millhouse all right you know and they <laughs> you know but I, with colin he's it's like him david tell bill burr those are the guys that people pack the room for Chappelle. Chappelle, obviously, you know, there's I mean, so many um, comics, but he's one of them that everyone, especially here in New York specifically, people will always, when he's on at the cellar, I'm trying to stand in the back. I'm, I'm hoping that they let me chill in the hallway so I can just watch the set because it's so fun. Yeah. But yeah, but uh, what a great guest, man. And uh, it's great to hear uh, you guys go a little, go a little back there and, uh, and talk about it a little bit, but um yeah, that was great. Uh, thank you guys for uh, for listening. What a great episode. We'll uh, we'll have him back soon for sure. Uh, like I said, uh, if you guys, I've said this a million times, but please keep in mind, please rate us. Rate us five stars. Uh, even if you think we're a four-star podcast, please rate us five. Uh, it helps with the stupid algorithms and gets us boosted up, and hopefully um, we can get a little sponsorship once, you know, once we get the uh, the attention of everyone, that would be nice because uh, we have bills to pay. Um, but yeah, give us five stars, subscribe, download, and share. That would be great on social media. Please add Daryl on social media at Daryl C. Hammond. I am at Chris Milhouse, two L's. Uh, and that's it for this episode. We will be back with you next week. See you guys then. See you next time. <laughs>